Scalf podcast, and I'm Mark Belden. Scalf is to be found at www.scalf.org.uk. It's a virtual project space accessible to anyone everywhere. Like a physical artist-run gallery, it's a space created and curated by artists presenting work in different ways. It's not the documentation of an exhibition happening somewhere else. The site is a space, and the visitor is you on your computer or device. You may have noticed that the format of Scalf exhibitions has changed slightly. The four most recent shows are around the theme of movement. They take physical gesture, dance, and performance, and translate these things into a virtual experience. So, for this ninth episode of the podcast, you'll be hearing from the people who put together all four of these shows. Coralai, Laura Ruse, Will Pham, and Matthew de Kersaint Giraudot. It's a lot to fit into one episode, but it's nice to get everyone in one place, at least virtually. Coralai Dance Company is a leader in dance created by artists with a learning disability. Their work explores the relationship between performers with and without a learning disability, between dance and other art forms, and between professional and participatory artwork. Through the pandemic, Coralie had to work online, and this was the starting point for their exhibition on Scalf, called Bubbles Together. Do go and check it out on the Scalf Movement page if you haven't seen it already. A few weeks ago, Claire Undy and Sarah Archdeacon spoke online to a few of the dancers involved in making Bubbles Together. You'll hear the dancers introduce themselves and then share some of their thoughts about the piece. The music you'll hear is from the score created for the exhibition by John Atterbury. Hello, my name is Bethan. I'm a dancer from Coralie Dance Company. I'm Sasha. I'm also a dancer at Coralie. And I'm also a visual artist as well. Hello, my name's Nicole. I'm a dancer at Coraline Dance Company. I chose to do bubbles because at the time we were dancing with Coraline Dance Company, we were in a situation where we had the COVID virus going around, so we had to dance at home. And we weren't allowed to mix with each other in a, in a big studio, so we had to use our dance spaces at home. So I thought of the idea of floating in bubbles so that we still could be mixing, mixing together and connecting in a floating way up into the space. It was very um, surreal, kind of just not being in the sort of dance space together. So it, it was a bit strange getting used to that and just having to be like essentially in our own like bubbles <laughs> before like, um, you know, uh, there were less restrictions and you know you could like meet up again and yeah so it was a bit strange <laughs> I like how I'm just like floating up in the air as I'm sort of spinning in different positions it's just yeah it, it just looks really cool <laughs> to see So it made me think of a dance that I did with DJ when I was working with DJ and also it brings back to lockdown because when we couldn't socialise, I was thinking of a dance that we've been with when I did with DJ. I remember back to that time when we were together and we were socialising together, us two, we did a dance together in pairs 
and we did it at the comedy show. So I was letting my dance to what I did with DJ. thing about dance it's a very um for me it's quite therapeutic so it's it's nice to have the opportunity to like be able to sort of dance within within a project or within a circumstance it was Bethan's idea the guinea pig oh i think it was because i brought um my dog button around so that's where it kind of jumped. That's how the idea sort of jumped into someone suggesting yeah, that we bring pets into the um, dance move. Well, I thought it was interesting. Um, you know, I, really, I really like it. And I, I like it when the music comes on and that's very uh, when I first saw the video, I thought it was very creative and I liked the way that the movements were put together, all together as one, and I liked the choice of music. I was curious to see what would like happen the minute I pressed like enter and you know, see everything happening. And uh, I also liked the sort of music that was kind of in, ingrained into it and um yeah it was um yeah it was kind of like entering almost a video game but like a really short one thank you to bethan sasha and nicole from Coralie, and to claire and sarah for making it all happen the music that you heard is by John Atterbury, and it was composed specifically for Bubbles Together on Scalf. You can find more information about all of Coralie's projects at coralie.org.uk. The next project on Scalf is Summer 21 is Burning by Laura Ruse. Laura is a multidisciplinary artist and dancer. The show is almost like its own ecosystem that brings together movement, research, digital collage, and even upcycled fashion. I spoke to Laura recently and we discussed the making of the exhibition, and, but before our conversation, let's hear an excerpt of the exhibition soundscape made in collaboration with William Martin. So the, the, the exhibition creates like a whole immersive world, but I was wondering what was your actual working space like when you were working on it? So I was actually in a lockdown in Paris when I made the show. So I was um, basically uh, in my flat in a small space and yeah, I didn't have like um, a studio or anything to to create work, but I had like, yeah, a small amount of space where I could just make some movements, but being, being also really careful with the floor because there are neighbors and all of that, so I'd not be able to dance a lot. So I was, it was quite reduced, but I guess that was a challenge and it's what also made me wanted to create a space that, 
to use a digital platform to make something that is quite um, uh, yeah immersive and to kind of create a space that I didn't have somehow. So did that did the like having neighbors did that shape some of the movements? Yes, the... yes, yes, totally. Um, yes, because I could not, uh, you know, I had like a, a wooden floor that was kind of making some noise and all of that, so I could not jump or, you know, just do anything that are too, you know, too intense. So yeah, I had to be careful with that and also what time I would rehearse and do this kind of, yeah. I guess lots of the movements also, maybe there's a bit of that, but they also made me think of like, plants or maybe it's the other images you're showing alongside it I thought of like sea creatures that are like rooted in place but yes yes I I guess I work a lot with undulation and as a so in my performance as a dancer kind of try to um, have movements that are not um, like I don't want to say human movement but that kind of I work a lot with the spine and I kind of look at the um, pattern of animals, for example, and how you have like some movements that, that are in command. And my way of moving is to basically, uh, it's quite fluid and it's yeah, a lot of undulation and it kind of creates um, a different rhythm that if, you know, if you are doing some abrupt jest or, you know, so yeah, you could imagine that it's, yeah, it's in the water or like the... Um, the environment is not necessarily the environment in, in, in which we, we, we will live somehow. So I guess, yeah, it's what I'm trying to work on when I, when I create um, um, a choreography or an improvisation-based piece. Yeah, it made me think of yeah, movement that's come from like another, whether it's wind or like water current, sort of pushing against something. Mm. So there's like a... Um, Yes, and I, I think I try to, um, it's all uh, improvised as well, but I will, <clears throat> it's improvised, but we'll, I will work with some certain techniques. So, so yes, uh, there is a sort of fluidity that needs to come in, in the body from different, uh, you know, from the feet to the head and, and, and to, yeah, imagine that somehow the hair is probably like, that could be more pressure or, uh, more dense and you know I work with this kind of ideas and image when I when I move and then the, I was also wondering about um, the, how the costumes came about mm. so I um, I actually had a um, fashion design I was a fashion designer before okay. and I quit uh, this field because I found that fashion design is not sustainable even if you you want to create, I, I was creating my own brain of, of clothes and I decided to stop because even if you try really hard, um, at the end of the day, the best you can do is just wear second-hand clothes and not create anymore. With, with the situation we are now, it's, yeah, it's not really uh, environmental anymore. So um, for this uh, performance, I wanted to create a costume, but I used uh, second-hand clothes that I modify and customized um, and um, and yes, I I kind of used um, some sort of fabric that was uh, that has like sort of a texture uh, feel, you know, like um, organic, I would say. And yeah. and yeah, and I played with that, and I also wanted to create some mask because I didn't want to um, to as an individual be part of the. Um, 
of the performance in a sense that my face is not needed. You know, I don't need to be recognized. I want it to be part of the environment that I was created. So having being somehow like neutral and also um, it's a it's sweet time. Yeah, there are three bodies which are all me. So it was interesting to play with that and to be more than one. Oh, OK. So yeah. you can be you can be three people. Exactly. Because you're not it's not specifically you. Exactly. Yes. So you, previous to this, you made another piece that was on the feeling of being exactly. that was on scalp. And uh, did that, were there things that came out of the process of that that yes. sort of shaped this piece? Yes, so um, basically the feeling of being was a piece that I created at the first lockdown. And I, yes, I really wanted to create something but I was also really frustrated because I really had like only one square meter or two square meter to move and and it's how I kind of came about of um, creating a digital landscape and be like well if I can't have the space to to dance then I'm going to make it you know and it also like a continuity with my uh, own work because when we're not in a lockdown setup I make performance installation but I'm always interested to not uh, necessarily uh, propose a performance that will be staged, but more something that is immersive. So I will work with sculpture and digital projection and different elements that will kind of come together and some spoken words. So it was, this time it was kind of, it was a continuity of this, but, but making all of it uh, totally digital. And so yes, I was selected with uh, the feeling of being for um, the way it means. Um, uh, exhibition uh, that was the summer before and when uh, Claire Hundy uh, <clears throat> suggested to, to to make a new work for this uh, new exhibition piece I, I was kind of excited to be able to uh, kind of push what I had started with the previous work without being the same thing but kind of really question how a performance can be made on the online space and how we can <clears throat> propose something different for the viewer that uh, won't have the chance to witness the physicality you can have in a, in a real space, but perhaps, um, yeah, experience something that offers uh, a, a world that is totally um, uh, created and yeah, it's, it's quite different. So I wanted to push this sort of idea of like making a, a digital performance. Mm. Because I guess with an immersive performance, you can't really, could, unlike a stage, you can't so much control how people are going to view it. And then with digital, you don't even know where they're going to be or if they're going to be doing something else while they watch it or if they, you know, how they watch it in time. Yes, yeah, so um, I guess what is interesting with the digital is perhaps... Uh, it kind of blurs the borders because I'm becoming as well digital because I'm part of the whatever you see. So when I, when I say I as a performer, but yes, in this piece, the idea was to to also I wanted the piece to be quite interactive for uh, the viewer. So um, uh, as a difference of the previous one, I really wanted to think of like what sort of narrative I can create that is non-linear, that is not just a screen and you know videos that you're watching that could be just you know. Um, a recording of, of a performance that already exists, 
And I was interested in creating um, a sort of vertical na uh, narrative because it's what we do with our tablet and our phone and the experience we have, we scroll down. And I was like, how performance can be scrolled down somehow and how you can um, yeah, make, make a work in that way. So, and I, I also wanted to have some interaction with the viewer in the sense that he could have the possibility to like listen some some um, audio extract and, and click in different pieces or move some element and kind of create as he wants the, the, or participate because he can't create but he can move the sort of didesolate element that are part of the piece so that was also the idea that the viewer is not just passive somehow and and as you or as the viewer um, clicks on things in the space or clicks on images in the space that it often triggers like a, a sample of someone talking. Yes. And was there something particular you, you were looking for when you assembled those or chose those? Yes, so the way I've chosen the um, extract. Um, the idea was to, to kind of um, organize a sort of debate that happens um, there are different extracts there are Stephen uh, Hawking, who is talking about the fact we need to, to leave Earth. And there is um, Marie-Louise Van Franz, who, uh, who it's an extract of an interview who, in, in, the, in the 80s. Uh, who, who, she's basically uh, interviewed because she, she was a collaborator of Carl Jung. And she's interviewed... Um, because when Carl, Carl Jung passed away, before he did talk about the chaos and the end of the world, and they asked her perception of, of the world and what, you know, what, what should happen. And, and, and the main thing, that she, she, it's, it's just really strong, but she's like, we, we should not give up, like the beauty of Earth and all of that. So for me, it was interesting to, 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 to confront um, these two um, psychanalyst and professor, you know, they both come from different fields at different times because these extracts are totally separated. But to have a sort of like open debate on our future, on the, on the future of our becoming. And, um, and I wanted also to, to meld this with other extracts that are also, um, you know, um, not real. Like we have uh, an extract of Matrix and uh, Blade Runner, and you know, it's also giving the voice to cyborg from film and having really like a, a panel of different voices. And to, because I, on, on one side, I, I like the fact that uh, the viewer can recognize and you don't need to, you know, know uh, you can recognize the film or you can recognize uh, a scientist. It, you know, it doesn't have to be, you have a knowledge of anything to, to recognize that. I wanted this to be open for anyone. And at the same time, you also, um, it, it was for me sort of parallel to my experience in the lockdown that you're locked by yourself, you spend your day by yourself, but your brain goes through like whatever you heard at the radio or the podcast or the book you're reading or the film you're watching. And all of this kind of make your own, create a conversation in your head. And it was this idea to, to recreate that somehow by having all this little ex extract. But they, they all, yeah, the idea, they, they all respond, they all respond to each other. And anyone can make their own um, idea of it, you know, mm. without imposing anything. Yeah, I, find, I mean, even my own experience of the lockdown, I found I was 
here in the middle of a city, but I found myself yeah, thinking about the natural world and ecology and all these things, almost, you know, and I guess conversations and listening to podcasts and people like, you know, who were in different countries. And it was almost focusing on those things more because I was very conscious of being apart from them or, or maybe it was just kind of introspection mm, <laughs> because yeah. of the lockdown. Yeah, I guess it has been a lot of realization for a lot of people as well, just, you know, uh, being out of your routine and, and uh, thinking more about what is surrounding us. And, and also, yes, the environment, uh, environmental crisis, is, it's, a big, um, it's a big thing and, and the pandemic is somehow linked as well. And we need to, to question ourselves and, and what are we doing and how we can maybe make some positive change. Yeah, it was kind of like <laughs> yeah. the idea. Well, also the title became sort of came true. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I'm not. <laughs> it was not so hard to uh, to to yeah to. But yeah, I, because each summer, each year, we we, we witness more and more um, um, catastrophe and and climates are changing and um, and yes, it's yeah. Summer transfer is burning and it means, you know, um, part of the planet is burning and we have also the rain, but it's also burning because a lot of, I feel like a lot of things are happening at the same time. Like, you know, you are, we talk about special tourism nowadays and, um, and anything is kind of becoming really extreme and we have the pandemic and we are living a sort of sci-fi movie <laughs> somehow, you know, yeah. um, all of this would I don't think we would have think when we were younger that it will necessarily happen. So, yes, I, I guess there's a, a sort of statement is summer 21 is burning. It's, we need to take action. And, and yes, it wasn't easy. It, it wasn't, it was easy to make it true because it's, it's where we are now. So. Yeah, well, I know that, like, coming from Canada, that it wasn't a difficult prediction considering, you know, mm. summer... 18 and summer 20 had fire so yes you know, yes exactly it yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah it was it was a, a pretty safe bet yeah exactly <laughs> <laughs> yeah yes for speaking to me about Summer 21 is Burning. The music you heard was made in collaboration with William Martin and the full piece features in the show. You can see more of Laura's work at lauraruse.com. Next up on Scalf is Rococo by Will Pham. Will is an artist working in video, live performance and socially engaged practice. Rococo is a brand of motion capture bodysuit, but it's impossible to say Rococo without evoking its other associations of a twisting, gravity-defying historical style. I had a chance to talk to Will via Zoom, 
and ask him a bit about the technology and how the show came together. The show also features sound design by Rob Zaliga. Let's hear an excerpt of that and then my conversation with Will. Because I, I don't know a lot about Rococo, but um, so it's a motion capture suit. It's used for animation to speed up the process of animating objects, figures, um, because the process is quite time consuming. So it's, it's made by like a startup company. So you can just buy this product. I guess I was interested in trying to find technologies or equipment that could open up this idea of digital space. So the brief was about digital space and, and performance in the virtual space. Instead of hiring a camera or something like that, then the suit is almost like a camera, like recording physical movements. But um, there's software with the suit. So Rococo has designed a, um, their own program to record the suit and record angles and frames and so I just used what was offered and so what you see in the video is basically that same software that they use Um, so it's kind of like the first stage the second stage I'm meant to do is export that file um, or the skeleton to a different software such as Maya or um, Cinema 4D and then you're able to um, link the movement to a certain animation, like a character. And then, yeah, everything came from trying to find ways to translate the movement in an interest, in a, in a way for me that was like new, something yeah. different. Like, because if you're trying to do it live, you, you couldn't physically do those actions, like shaking or turning upside down, like dislocate your, your limbs and stuff, but you can't actually do that, obviously. So it's just making use of tricking the viewer to think, oh, some parts you might think are real and some are like just make-believe just through um, using the suit. So then you're trying to make do with what you can with the, with the limitations or the strengths of the software and authentic, like, like you're trying to, um, yeah, because with the digital space and the virtual space, it's all like, um, artificial so it's just trying to just keep that going yeah it's been quite playful like I didn't really have any idea because what you're seeing is usually or what the what you see in the show is is usually something that exists as like a part of a process and would never be yeah like that that very generalized virtual environment and that you know and that very simplified figure wouldn't be the thing that would ever appear in a game or a, a another computer animation so you've sort of like revealed that a little bit yeah yeah i guess um is it like a ready-made like a ready-made environment or like a generic basically it highlights like it, it's a very edited environment where the focus is all on what is the figure and how it moves 
So it's very, um, you can spend a long time just crafting the right movement for a specific character or action and then redo it again, watch it again, do it again, um, change the angle, change how, it's kind of like scripting a, a storyboard in real, in real time. Mm -hmm. Oh, and there's also processes within the software where you can record an action, save it to your timeline, name it as, you know, walking down whatever, or walking in a funny way, or... And then I... I um, you, tr you try to add something or think differently to what, let's say, its purpose is or its function is. So you know, it's, it is meant to be um, used in a certain way for like production or to speed up. It's like professional animations or whatever. So yeah, I just think it's a bit funny because you're, you're, it's meant to record movement, but there isn't any, like it's a movement from outside the suit. But this, yeah, it's just like you're not wearing it. But to me, it's still interesting um, finding different ways to use the suit, not in the way that it's meant to be used. So, um, just as a way to like work out, yeah, work out really and play with it. So it's a bit, it is a bit like a experiment. I think that's my approach in general to how I think through like problems. Like I just try and do stuff that instead of resolving the problem, I'll just try and add, make it bigger. So it's like, I don't know how to use a suit. Okay, let's try and like use it wrong. So then, I'm, so it's just like snowboarding. Um, which probably isn't the right way to think, but um, a lot of what's in the software is already exploring this idea of movement in virtual space. And so I was just wanted to like go along with that and think about how it could be used for scale, for the scale project. Because watching it, it's like, how is this figure, if it's a motion capture figure, how is it moving in these ways that a human body doesn't really move. So it's interesting that you, so you took the suit off, like, and yeah, just so, played with it? it? Yeah, it's just think of it as like a jumpsuit. It looks like a jumpsuit that you wear. And um, you just, um, I, um, I spent like a day filming and playing with it, like wearing it. And I watched it back and everything was seemed very conventional. Well, that's what, like not conventional in a like conventional meaning that like, I just physically couldn't do some things because I'm not a I'm not a dancer or a movement specialist. Like I'm just not, you know. So a lot of it was just very like generic things like walking, um, jumping, like stuff like that. And I just I didn't wasn't interested. So um, I decided to just like see what would happen if I just unzipped it and then. Um, took it off, tried to find ways where the accidents and the, the movements in between movements could be used as actual um, work ideas to keep going. And then there are times where I didn't really look at the screen to interact with the screen. And I was just like accidentally placing it, propping it against actual this chair. I replaced the, the suit against objects at this chair and this table, and then I moved I moved some um, limbs or some arms or leg sections across certain parts of furniture in my room. And then I also tried to turn it upside down and just try to 
play with it quite formally. And then there were times where I would actually look at the screen more than the suit. So I can see how it corresponds between the actions um, in physical space with what's actually happening on screen. And there's a lot of glitches and a lot of like this weird um, black background that appeared because there's no um, central gravity. Because when you wear the suit, you can, you're meant to align it with the, um, the software and you're meant to recalibrate the figure. So there was a lot of confusion with the software and the suit because it wasn't calibrated. And so I kind of focused more on what was happening on the screen. And I was like, okay, how could I make it do what I want on the, on the screen without looking at the camera, without, yeah. So then, and it's just using it as a puppet, moving it around. And then, yeah, I didn't wear it back again, but I probably could have, but, um, there were times where it was, um, I made a bend over, um, moved some of its arms. So, and then I kind of, there was like this, the head part of the suit is basically just a strap with a headband. And so it's kind of funny because it's like a really loose fabric, but it's meant to represent the head. So at lots of times the head on the screen looked like it was like a dead, like it was like a gimp. So um, it, was, it was hard to balance between trying to animate a figure when you're holding it and you, you don't actually, you can't control everything. So it was like, there were some times where I could only control where the leg was going. And there were times where I could only control what the head was doing. Because I was just like, um, I made it sit. And then I just took the strap and moved the head around to try to focus on like it looking around or something. But then it meant that I couldn't focus on the rest of the body. So it made like it. So yeah, it was quite funny because it's um, trying to give life to this puppet and it's quite a lot going on, just trying to make it walk and look around and, and have a persona or a character. And um, yeah, I'd, and then I and then what I did was I, I edited it and watched it back and I just chose the, the, the long clip, I think five minutes, where I thought, uh, um, no, actually, what I did was I tried to do it again, like keep doing it again, like revisions. And then I just realized, um, you know, when you have like a spark of like play and, like you sh and then you, you try to recreate that, but then it's quite hard. But so then I just used the original clip that I used when I had that first moment of, oh, this isn't really working. If you're really frustrated, let's take it off. Let's play with it. And then that was the video I used. I guess that it's then it's sort of catching that moment, that actual moment of experimenting, like when you transition from trying to use it the way it was designed to like there's sort of a ground surface that it's on. And then you just it's almost imperceptibly you kind of like all of a sudden that disappears and you're in a void. And, and so that was just something that happened through that. Yeah, because when, when you take it off, it, it, it doesn't calibrate. And then I think um, the software thinks that it, well, I don't actually know. I don't know why it did that. But I quite liked it because it just made it look, it made it feel like it floated away.
Thank you to Will for talking to me about Rococo. The sound you heard at either end of our conversation is from the show, and it was made by Rob Saliga. Will has a work in the London Open at the Whitechapel Gallery in 2022, so if you're in London and listening to this in 2022, be sure to go see it. Also, Will's website is willfam.co.uk. The final project in this run of Skelf shows is In Hell Online by Matthew de Cursaint Giraudot. Matthew is an artist working across sculpture, drawing, painting, performance, and video. On Skelf, he has created over 100 videos working with the performers Tammy Reynolds and Daniel Oliver. It's a labyrinth you can lose yourself in. I spoke to Matthew via Zoom and asked him a bit about how the show came together and how he began collaborating with Tammy and Daniel. Before we hear the conversation, here's a short section of the audio from In Hell Online. This music accompanies the Googling in Hell segments. video and performers for a while now but I was I, I guess I was thinking about the, the last year and a half and how whether you people have any interest in it or not everybody's had to sort of even if you're working in an office you have to make your own set <laughs> and for zoom meetings and you and there's an element of online performance I wondered if if that influence influenced the show or whether or how you were thinking about it as you sort of yeah I mean definitely so uh, I've been working with Daniel Oliver um, who is one of the performers Tammy Reynolds is the other performer but Daniel I've been working with for several years more than several years now since 2014 2013 anyway when I'd I'd been planning to do some more work with him and then lockdown hit and I couldn't. So we did do some stuff where I scripted some things and then he did these, um, he kind of filmed himself doing almost like pretending to be a vlogger kind of thing. And then he'd be like walking around the park, talking into his phone and then I'd edit it and we put it out as a video. And then I bought him just a bit of green screen material to hang up behind his computer. And then he did one from the computer and so that really, and obviously at that point, everyone was on Zoom and everything was being done through video chat. You know, everyone's April, May, June of last year. And people were discovering how good it had gotten. You know, maybe some people have to do it because they have family abroad or they have friends in other countries. But for a lot of people, they might have used it a few times 10 years ago with Skype and then forgotten about it. And then so it, it was it was quite exciting that time apart from all the fear of, uh, you know, COVID, you know, I've been making digital work for a while. And part of what I like about digital work is how everyone's entire lives are for the most part digital. But there's been a bit of reluctance on the part of art to kind of accept that. And so it felt like last year, people finally accepted that actually even art was for the most part digital. And uh, that was 
exciting for someone like me who'd be, you know, I've done lots of website things and lots of kind of online things before. So it definitely fed into it, but it's it's a realm which I already like. I like understanding the way people speak online, the way people present themselves online and the kind of cliches and ugliness of, of that stuff. But yeah, that but working with Daniel and kind of getting him the green screen, getting him to film himself was, yeah, that kind of gave me some ideas for um, for some of the performances. And so you, you've worked with him before, but then um, how did you start working with Tammy as well? So I will tell the exact story because it is actually quite important. Um, Tammy has dwarfism and me and Daniel, and she's a friend of Daniel's anyway, she kind of already, well, her and Daniel know each other anyway. So I talked to Daniel about Makers Work. And I said something about a previous performance we had made in which uh, we'd made reference to in, an invented fairy tale called The Giant and the Dwarf. Which uh, And that performance was all about status and power. And I was thinking of revisiting that stuff. And he said, oh, that makes me cringe a little bit because I've got to know someone with dwarfism and it seems really kind of shitty that, you know, we made, not that we were making jokes about dwarfism, but that we referred to the kind of comic archetype of the, the dwarf in inverted commas, you know, a kind of fan, fantasy figure. And, and that to me was like, oh, this is like immediately really interesting because a lot of what I'm interested in is uh, unexamined, prejudices or how uh kind of bias uh, what not just not just bias but like structural uh what's the word discrimination or assumptions or well things you know, that are almost a phrase built in or systemic or yeah um, I, ju I mean obviously almost, almost like unconscious bias and, and not being yeah, knowing I, do, I don't like the phrase unconscious bias because it suggests something it's quite a confused phrase i think maybe just more like racism and ableism that you know i'm a, I'm a white cis able-bodied man i have a lot of privilege and and that's kind of in me and i'm always interested when i when i notice my privilege coming out as prejudice or as assumptions or as racism, ableism anyway. So I was like, oh, this is brilliant. This is like a brilliant starting point. The idea that like we're, we're now embarrassed about something we did before. And we also know someone to, with, with whom we're embarrassed. Like Tammy and, you know, Daniel was like, oh yeah, well I can give her a call and, and we can work together. So that's a very confusing way of telling that story. I'm so sorry. I'm feeling very uncharismatic today. <laughs> but basically, Tammy's a brilliant performer. She also has dwarfism and she uses, how does she phrase it? She has a really nice phrase for it. She's something like, she she always has dwarfism, as in when she's, a, when she's performing, when she's on stage, she doesn't suddenly stop being a disabled person. And therefore, ableism and those kind of structures of... Um, oppression or, or disabling structures don't disappear just because she's on stage. So that's the way she thinks about kind of um, performing with her dwarfism or something. And I think that's super interesting. So anyway, I got in touch with her and she was up for it. And then we spent three days in, at Queen Mary using their rehearsal space and working stuff out. 
and working out what bits were going to be scripted and what bits were going to be improvised. We're, we're just doing very basic things like this idea of um, uh, go, like this idea of going up and down a ladder. Like what what is it when someone with dwarfism goes up and down a ladder versus someone who who hasn't got dwarfism going up and down a ladder? It's these kind of reductive, very very low level metaphors of power in relation to size or height or uh, kind of orientation would be the way I'd describe it. There's an amazing psychological study which I was looking at, um, which is kind of the basis for quite a lot of the stupider bits of performance in the in the videos. Researchers got a computer screen and on the computer screen they would place an animal at different heights, either really high on the computer screen or really low on the computer screen or in the middle of the computer screen. And to make it uh, neutral somehow, they decided that they would put the images they would use would be of animals. So they would show different animals to people at different heights and then they would ask them how much they respected that animal. So they would show them a polar bear at the top of the screen and be like, how much do you respect this polar bear? And then they would show them an otter at the bottom of the screen and be like, how much do you respect this otter? And this was to supposedly to prove the kind of... Um, linguistic relation kind of linguistic metaphorical relation between height orientation and status and it may or may not have proved that but i just thought it was just so funny asking people how much they respected an otter and i just i just had this brilliant vision of like tammy being up really high up a ladder and daniel just looking up to her and her being like and saying oh how do you feel and she says yeah pretty good but then i realized she could also say Oh, I feel really shit. And then I got this idea that you, you could kind of replay these. They're almost like sketches without any jokes in. And you can replay them over and over again and just do the different outcome. So because, you know, like it means something different. If you go up the top of a ladder and you say you feel good, it means something different to if you go up the top of a ladder and say that you don't feel any different. Or if you go up the top of a ladder and say, oh, no, I feel really shit. But it. But at all points, it's referring to an already kind of existing assumption around the relationship between height and status. And so in a way, even though you're changing the outcome each time, you're just reinforcing the connection between height and power and status. And uh, I guess that kind of there's some kind of absurdity or, or nihilistic joke being made there. And Tammy got well, Tammy and, and Daniel both got on board with the kind of humorous pessimism of the whole project. Like the idea that a well-meaning person trying to like make some kind of work that challenges assumptions around this or that um, disability or, or power or whatever, but not realizing that everything they do just kind of reinforces over and over again um, the exact power structures that they're kind of trying to critique or something. And that's always a joke that I think is funny in a very sad way. And they were, they were up for kind of doing that as well. And then the, and then it ended up that we had these long improvised conversations that aren't, they aren't more real or, and they aren't even real, you know, there's moments of sincerity and moments of insincerity. But what happens is they are kind of taking place within exactly the same space where we've just done some other stupid stuff that doesn't have any kind of, content as it were it's just a kind of empty 
empty gesture over and over again. So the idea was that somehow those discussions would frame the absurdist, pessimistic sketches or the sketches would frame the more kind of sincere or whatever discussions. But yeah, Tammy was just amazing. She's very intelligent. She's a very good writer as well. And she's very articulate. And that alongside Daniel, who is also a, a brilliant performer and uh, very articulate in his own way as well, was really great because they could respond to things very quickly. You know, they both used to perform, like Tammy does drag. She's not doing it so much at the moment. And Daniel's performances are always kind of participatory. So they could really go with the flow where like sometimes things would need to be really deadpan or sometimes things would need to be overacted or sometimes in the conversations they'd veer from really serious, you know, like an actual discussion of an actual issue into a stupid joke. And they would like play with that in really interesting ways. Yeah, they were great. They're so good. But also, yeah, it's interesting that you said it, it came from like a kind of like an initial awkwardness about a previous piece because because mm. the I know it's in hell online and there's a certain it, but but one of the nice things that comes across is there's there's like a real sort of trust and comfort between and you can sense it between the between Tammy and Daniel and with you and when you're sort of present in the discussion but hidden behind a a poo, a, poo. <laughs> Big poo. a piece of shit is how I describe it I think a piece a piece of shit is like in maybe like in, in English is like the closest we get to you know the kind of Arabic idea of the bottom of your shoe being like the biggest insult you know kind of the idea of being below someone's foot or something like a piece of shit is a little bit like that isn't it so I thought the idea of like a, lo a low metaphor for the um that I'm hiding behind, even though I'm clearly the person who's in charge and clearly the director. Yeah, I, I mean, obviously I can't speak for Tammy Daniel, but I know in conversations we've had both on and off camera, obviously the po the point was to get to a place where like, if they at any point were like, nah, this doesn't quite work, they could tell me or if, but also at the same time, I could be blunt or, you know, overplay my status in my role as the kind of producer character and they would kind of go with that and get that and that only works if people on a person-to-person -person level kind of trust each other i was wondering about the um the structure in the sequencing of the videos was there specific things you were thinking about in having a piece that plays and there's it's like the opposite of video on demand it's this sequence that's hard to discern so me and rob smith who is the coder he helped claire with the coding for this scale piece and he's also helping me with the gallery version we worked um on a flat time house project with a few artists but we worked with an artist called Medea lagari who's from pakistan from pakistan and she made an amazing video that was a sequence of clips and she wanted it to be randomized in a certain way and it was an online project, sorry. And Rob came up with a very, very neat way of doing that. And so that got me thinking about um, 
you know, when when Claire came to me with this idea of doing an online project, that got me thinking about, oh, maybe I could do some kind of randomized randomization. In the end, we used a t completely different system for it, um, sequencing separate videos rather than kind of flipping across the playhead on one video. But I really, really like this idea that Tammy and Daniel are trapped in this artwork forever and they're trapped in your computer screen and you're trapped in the computer screen and you don't have any choice and they don't have any choice. And there's this kind of opaque algorithm serving you videos, but it's essentially based on the time of day, right? So you join them for feeding time or for sleeping time or for, you know, orientation or for creative time. And then there's a sequence, you know, there's like a playlist of videos that's kind of randomized within that. And the idea being that you can check back at different times and hopefully people have clicked back a few times. But what I thought was kind of funny, it's always funny to me, the idea of people completely misunderstanding an artwork. Not in the sense that they've got it wrong, but in the sense they have this, they'll have some very particular experience of an artwork, which they'll take to be, to the, to be the whole experience of the artwork. And for example, like, for the most part, people click on stuff when they're sat on their laptops. So maybe they'll click on stuff at lunchtime. And if you do that with this work, you get served a very similar video every time you click on it. Even if you see all of the different videos, it's just oh, Daniel and Tammy eating something and then a voiceover saying this is neurodiversity or this is accessibility. And so if you if you watch it enough, you might start to think you might start to notice the actual differences. Oh, they're eating baked beans in this one. They're eating, they're eating coleslaw in this one. But if you space those times out, you might just think, oh, I just keep getting the same video. And then I really like the idea that like five years from now, like one person is going to say to another person like, oh, actually that reminds me of this thing I saw. And yeah, like I just kept, kept coming back to the website and there was just this one two minute video of someone eating some coleslaw. And that was all the work was. And I really like the idea that, you know, someone else, who spent a bit of time and all like clicked on the links at different times of day was like kind of got oh they were like oh there's there's lots and lots of different videos but then some of the videos are so similar that they may as well be the same video the only difference is like a slight different sound effect or a slightly different edit and um like as a viewer i, I slightly felt like um like uh tammy and daniel were like my new flatmates yeah <laughs> That's really good. I like that version of it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, obviously the, the hell thing is very overplayed. Like it's not really hell. Like it, the videos are quite fun to watch and it was very fun to make. Like I like the idea of this kind of overstatement, but yeah, you're just, you're just like really with them doing these kind of quite weird and yet also mundane things. So flatmates, that's nice. If you are listening to this before the 16th of October 2021, Matthew also has an exhibition called You Are in Hell at Kingsgate Project Space in Kilburn in London. Matthew's website is decursaint.com. So that's all for this episode of the Scalf Podcast. I'd like to thank Laura Ruse, Will Pham, and Matthew de Cursaint Giraudot for sitting down to talk with me. And thank you to Bethan, Sasha, and Nicole from Coralie for sharing their thoughts about the show. 
Thank you to Sarah Archdeacon and Claire Undy for making that conversation happen. I'd also like to thank Levin Hagel for his help with post-production. The Movement series of exhibitions will be on the SCALF website through the autumn of 2021 and archived thereafter. The gorgeous audio excerpts you heard on this episode were from John Atterbury, William Martin, Rob Saliga, and Matthew de Cursaint Giraudo. Theme music on this episode is courtesy of the Cleaners from Venus and the Free Music Archive. I am Mark Belden. I'd like to send a big thank you to Claire Undy and Lizzie Munn at SCALF. This production is supported using public funding by the National Lottery through Arts Council England. SCALF is at www.scalf.org.uk, and all the past exhibitions are archived there. Listen or subscribe to the SCALF podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Episode 10 will accompany the next series of exhibitions in early 2022. Until then. Oh, 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 oh.